Welcome back to Rogue Opinions, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I am Jimmy Baxter, and as always, when we travel down this retro road down to the SmackDown Hotel and check in, I'm joined by Scott McLeod. Scott, how are you? I'm doing good, man. I'm looking forward to talking about a very, very eventful episode of SmackDown. You mean the cocaine-fueled fever dream that we had to sit through this week? Yeah. Like, if anybody ever wondered what happened if uh, Vince Russo never took a whole bunch of cocaine, uh, this episode is probably Exhibit A. Absolutely. So, uh, what do you say we just dive into it? Uh, yeah, but before we start, I want to say I, I basically tweeted out my thoughts on this episode summed up in a tweet that was basically the Grandpa Simpson walking into a restaurant, putting his hat down and then walking out again. That basically summed up most of the SmackDown matches and segments on this show. Um, I also put a poll out to see what the people what people preferred the the oval set that we're talking about now, or the giant fist set, or and I also put the option to love both of them. And I put one on Facebook, one on Twitter, and it does seem to be a lot of people actually prefer the giant fist set. But I'm starting to get a whole new like, appreciation for the oval set, even though I slightly prefer the fist. Yeah, I I like the fist plenty, but I'm definitely more on the. Uh the oval shaped entrance. Uh, I went to a SmackDown back during that period of time, uh, August 8th, 2000, I think it was. And it had this set. So this set has always been something that's been close to my heart. And it's the easiest thing to draw when you're doodling in class (laughs) and you're waiting for SmackDown to happen that night. So there are plenty of notebooks from that time period of my life that have just that entrance drawn all over it. Also, I think I may have slightly ruined the the entrance, the uh, the opening for myself because now whenever I hear that that opening song, I I just hear it as the intro for Botchamania. Now, like I'm just sitting there <laughs> watching it, waiting to hear the how much does this guy weigh? Jesus, <laughs> he got a bicycle. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, now now I'm forever gonna just be hearing the Botchamania theme every single time. <laughs> Just sitting there watching, like, Matthew. God damn it, Matthew. <laughs> um, yeah, all right. So, uh, episode two of SmackDown. Uh, the air date is uh, September 2nd, 1999, live from Worcester, Massachusetts. If you're following along with us on the network, uh, it is episode two, as I've said. And we kick things off with Michael Cole and the King on commentary. Not sure if this is going to stick around as we know Michael Cole and Taz do take over at some point in the early 2000s. But for right now, we have Michael Cole and King. What were your feelings on hearing that the uh, commentary team had switched up a little bit and King is now sort of the de facto Corey Graves? Yeah, I was going to say, with Jerry Lawler playing the Corey Graves of his day, but like, I, I do remember, like, I've heard a lot of clips from Matt Denver in this time period where it has been Michael Cole and the King. So I think that's the stick for foreseeable future that's why i was so thrown off when we had the first official episode uh smackdown last week and it was jr and the king i was curious to see how long it would take before michael cole stepped in and it didn't take long but michael cole like you would get better i think kevin taz actually did his work with taz is a bit underrated but he he was just basically captain obvious during this thing constantly pointing things out that we can clearly see like yeah, absolutely. And I think that uh, 
I think that Michael Cole, this is definitely sort of in the middle of like a transitional point because he had replaced JR earlier in 1999, maybe even late 98 after uh, JR had had that attack, uh, his like third round or second round of Bell's palsy. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just, it's something he, that he never recovered from where people just sort of kind of shit on him a lot. But I, I've always really enjoyed Michael Cole. And I think there was a lot of good in this episode. And there were a lot of, um, not so good. Like I feel like uh, when he messed up uh, during that Rock and Mankind match, where uh, Rock got thrown into the steel steps, but he said steel chair like three yeah. or four times, and he didn't really have a response to King at all. Yeah, um, he, he just jumped right all over and created them. And well, I think he suddenly realized his mistake, and he was hoping he could move on. But King just flat out just acknowledges, like, "No, you messed up." Yeah, and he calls him an idiot and everything, and then like. Yeah. If, if that were me, I don't care how professional I have to be. I would have been like, fuck off, King. Like, stop. <laughs> you know, like, I, so what? Yeah, like, I thought of him being like Cad and I was like, a limo pulls up in the backstage area and like the whole team is who's in the limo and like a limo pulls in and he just goes, there's a limo pulling into the arena. Like, we can clearly see that, Michael. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and you got to wonder, especially at this time with uh, SmackDown still being brand new, uh, and then being back on network television for the first time in a long time, you got to think that he was getting like way overproduced, uh, yeah. at least at the beginning. I'm sure King had a slightly looser uh, stranglehold as far as like the things that he was able to say and just able to be more of himself. But uh, I think I think as we go, Michael Cole, like the good parts of Michael Cole co- calling commentary will come out a little bit more. Yeah. But it was quite clear to see the, the difference in the relationship between JR and the King and Michael Cole and the King because Cole at first has really no comeback for JR, whereas JR was used to it and is always able to give back at JR whenever he thinks he crossed the line. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and that's that was I was actually looking for that because like nowadays Michael Cole, he would have said something to, mm-hmm. you know, being called an idiot or something. Especially even when he was um like doing that like extra like over the top heel run that he did on commentary for a little while. He definitely would have said something. And it's just it's 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 interesting to see uh baby Michael Cole just sort of being slapped around by the older gents uh back in the day. Yeah, but he probably has like a, a million different voices and he's here overproducing them. So eventually I think he does grow into the role. Yeah, definitely. I'm sure that he gets a little like that, that, that grip gets a little looser as time goes on, uh, especially because Michael calls somebody you can trust behind the desk. And, uh, you know, when he's in the booth, it's, you know, especially like uh, that first UK tournament. Like, I mean, how yeah. good Michael Cole can be is like ridiculous. Apparently, it's actually him that produces a commentary for NXT. So it's his voice and model and like Nigel's ear. So I can imagine he's probably communicating to him the way he wants Vince to talk to him. And he's just waiting for the day that Vince watches him do it and see like see how it can be done, Vince, calmly. Like not screaming in my ear every five minutes to plug the new thing. Yeah, exactly. And I mean even today, like on Raws and SmackDowns, like he is just constantly plugging things and just it's that's gotta be rough. I mean, as as a commentator, I could I I don't get produced at all. Uh, at wrestling shows, which is nice, but if I were to ever get up to that level, I'm sure that, you know, having somebody screaming in my ear to say, oh, so-and-so did this, you have to say that they're doing that, like, that could be very, very difficult to work around, so 
I mean, we'll we'll see how he progresses, but I've I've always been a Michael Cole fan. Yeah, me too. I think he gets a, he gets a lot more criticism than is really is necessary. Absolutely, yeah. I he, I mean, he did come in at a really weird time when he had to replace Jr. And in the '90s, people were very quick to jump on like changes happening because people don't like change. So <laughs> you know. But as I said, SmackDown live from Worcester, Massachusetts, September 2nd, 1999. We are three weeks away from Unforgiven 99, and they do not let us forget that, Scott. They do not let no. us forget that. And they don't um, let us forget the fact that it's being sponsored by Magic the Gathering. Either. And I forgot that in late 99, Magic the Gathering entered into a like advertising partnership with the WWE because I'm a huge Magic the Gathering fan. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is where I discovered playing Magic the Gathering was through watching WWF at the time and I've been playing it for 20 years at this point and it's all because WWF decided to use Magic the Gathering as a sponsor for a little while so if anyone ever wants to get really bored and talk about Magic the Gathering I'm uh, at Mr. Riot on Twitter mm-hmm. um so we open up the show with a number one contender's uh a number one contender for the IC title uh at Unforgiven China versus Mr. Ass uh, in my notes, I was very confused because I heard Triple H's music, mm-hmm. and then China came out, and then I didn't even know it was a match until I saw that there was a referee already in the ring. So mm-hmm. I had no idea what was going on for the first couple minutes because I'm also watching old Raws, but like I'm way behind. Like I'm not yet at the SmackDown era of like the 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 Raw period. So like I'm just watching the SmackDowns for for this and trying to keep my mind as fresh as possible. So it'll be interesting to see what comes of that. Um, are you doing a similar thing? Or are you watching both shows? Uh, I've mainly been watching SmackDown so far because I think I've always preferred SmackDown to Raw, but uh, I think I was, I think I'm going to try and watch like Raw, like some of the Raws as we're going along just to see, like get filled in on what happens in between because so much does happen around this time. But I think they do, we'll do a good enough job in, cer- in certain aspects of filling you in with the important stuff you need to know, like what happened on Raw that led to this match, like China accidentally or maybe not accidentally hitting Billy Gunn with a guitar on Raw, which led to this match. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that at this time they uh, had a really effective way of using uh, like recap videos. Like there's a there's a bunch of recaps on here from the stuff that you would have missed on Raw because they're doing uh, like they're still sort of fighting the Monday Night Wars, but they also have this secondary show that's taking place at the same time as the other secondary show, Thunder, uh, from WCW. So they have a lot going on right now, and they constantly like to try and keep you reminded of what's going on. And uh, they, they do a pretty good job of it. Uh, we do know that at some point it gets to the... It gets to a point where it is very difficult to not watch the Raws because SmackDown just becomes like the raw recap show. Um, and I do not look forward to getting to that part, but we'll get there in a few years. So who knows? Can I just say like, we might as well get this out of the way now. How many times in the space of 90 fucking minutes do we have to hear my time? Like, ugh. I don't, it, I, I know some people might prefer that to the game. I think it's horrible. Like the fact that China has to use it and Triple H uses it. And then and, Shane comes out to it later on. Yeah. And they're in the fact they're in multiple segments and they have to get a full entrance in each segment. And like how many four or five, maybe I've probably lost count. Jesus. Oh, I think we've hit at least half a dozen 
on this episode. Well, I mean, we'll go through it and we'll see. But um, I, I was even more confused as to why she would come out to that because I'm pretty sure, like, I'm pretty sure Cena is almost done with Triple H. So the fact she's still coming out to that theme so close to she Unforgiven, and uh, I was just confused. She doesn't think, get that. Uh, that. Uh, she gets that "Don't treat me like a woman, don't treat me like a man" theme song, uh, but I think that's like after what the end of the like test and Stephanie angle is. So I think like probably early two thousand is when she stops using the uh, the Triple H theme. Yeah. Um. So uh, we see a recap of uh, China signing the open contract uh, and hitting Mr. S with the guitar, as you said. Uh, Jeff Jarrett, Deborah, and Miss Kitty come to ringside and uh, add their uh, their two cents on commentary, uh, which I guess is interesting. But uh, Double J sounded a little disjointed, like uh, like he was told to go out there and promote the pay per view. So like he kept having to say Unforgiven September twenty sixth, Unforgiven September twenty sixth. When we get to Unforgiven on pay per view on September twenty sixth, and I was like, all right, Jeff, like you did what you had to do. Like I get it, but you know, looking at it through. Um, 2019 eyes is definitely a different experience. Did you have the same thought? I, I actually felt during this match that Jeff Jarrett was the only one out of the two, out of the three people on commentary that really made any sense because he was the only one bringing up like logical points. But like, I just got distracted by the fact that I made this note, this comparison that Miss Kitty comes out basically dressed like a slutty Candice LeRae. That's what that's the comparison I made. Holy shit! That is so apt. Like, that is just the most accurate thing I think I've ever heard in I mean, my podcasting career. I mean, she's basically, I think originally she's basically maybe like a mini version of Deborah, but I could not get past the cancellary comparisons, like, on this show. And I did love the whole thing, according to the point, like, I think, I can't remember who pointed out, but they said, I think Billy Gunn's taking it easy on Shayna at the exact moment, Billy Gunn Irish whips her. And in the corner, she does the John Michaels flip and then just tumbles to the outside. She has that really rough uh, landing. I guess it's it's like it was planned or whatever, but it did look rather rough where she landed on her elbow yeah. there. Um, she uh, so so she, uh, you know, she she's she moons Mr. Ass um, during this match, which 95 percent of her ass was showing anyway through those the see through tights that she was wearing. Yeah. Um. And then she has that rough landing on the apron, uh, which leads to her slamming Mr. Ass into the stairs. Um. There's a sloppy sort of mistimed ref bump into a Famouser, and then of course, uh, Triple H comes in to pedigree Mr. Ass, giving China the win. Um. In not very long. Uh. And thank God for that because China is not very good at this point. Um. And so China will advance to the IC title match against Jeff Jarrett. Sunday, September 26th, live on pay-per-view for Unforgiven. What do you think of uh, them having an intergender title match at the pay-per-view in 1999? Uh, I think it really made sense for that time, especially given how big China was eventually. I think it was a matter of time, but she would be challenging for like, men's titles because I remember she was like, they talk about her being number one contender for the WF title for like all of like, a week or so. And there was rumors of her even going on to SummerSlam, but like I just get getting mixed signals about China. Like, is she meant to be a face because like men like Billy Gunn and Jeff Jarrett kind of talking down to her, but then she's coming out with Triple H, the biggest heel, and she and the two biggest heels in the company. 
Like I just don't like I feel like I'm not sure what he how he root for China. She sort of seems like a uh, like a heel by association uh, yeah. most times, but then they they give her like baby face esque wins, mm-hmm. I guess you could say, and it's um it is rather complicated, especially because how babyface she becomes uh like in the earlier part of next year especially when she gets that um that like pyro gun for her entrance and she's got that she's got that entrance theme and the whole i mean we'll get there but like it's it's very complicated uh the next like couple of years of uh china's career um so then we move on to a recap from raw showing how the rock and sock connection won the tag team titles after the undertaker uh was like just left big show alone to deal with rock and mankind. Um, so obviously very upset. Big show comes out. Well, uh, big show comes out and he calls out, um, the undertaker and threatens him by saying that, uh, you know, you know, I can, I can take you down. And if you ever leave me alone again, I'm going to like beat your ass or, or whatnot. Um, but instead of the undertaker, Paul bear comes out and says that, the Undertaker created Big Show and can damn sure destroy him. Uh, Big Show then sort of sidekicks or super kicks and chokes Paul Bearer until The Undertaker comes out to confront Show. And Taker whispers something in Big Show's ear and says that if you ever disrespect him again, he'll rip out his tongue and choke him with it. A lot happened here. Uh, we find out that the Rock and Sock Connection are now the current WWF Tag Team Champions. Uh, there's some dissension between Big Show and The Undertaker, but then the look that Big Show has on his face after whatever Undertaker whispers in his ear is quite startling. Uh, what were your thoughts on this promo section? Well, first off, I want to say Captain Obvious Michael Cole strikes again with the very loud, well, it's the Big Show, immediately followed Michael Cole saying, it's the Big Show. Like, really? He almost echoes it. Yeah, he does. Like, like, I'm not sure that giant like voice of Michael Hayes yelling the Big Show I think gave it away. Yeah, absolutely. But, yeah, but like the promo itself was terrible. I, I just I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Big Show did not cut a good promo at this point, and I'm not saying Big Show's always been regarded as one of the best talkers, but he gets a lot better than he was here. And just just the image of him just sticking his very large bit right into the face of of Paul Bear, right when Paul's like mid laugh and just boots some right in the face just it made me laugh and then can we talk about quickly the dye job on (laughs) the hair of paul bearer like oh my goodness (laughs) who how did he look himself in the mirror and go yep that's exactly it like i don't understand i just don't understand it i was expecting him when he got back up for there to be a big black spot on the canvas from where where his head (laughs) has been and huh. and Taker just sort of leaves them there. Like there's a lot yeah. of like interesting things that happen with Undertaker on this episode that we'll get into. But like first of all, like he he like nearly Paul Bearer gets super kicked and nearly choked out. Taker and Big Show have their back and forth, and then they both leave Paul Bearer's fat ass just laying in the <laughs> middle of the ring. Like unbelievable, unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, we see a limo pulling up to the arena. Uh, we'll be coming back to that. I mean, a whole bunch during the episode, which begs the question, like, why did you sit in the car for so long? But we'll get there. We'll get there. I'm pretty sure the engine was running the entire time as well. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, well, you got to have the, uh, let's see, it's, it's, you know, August in Massachusetts. I'm assuming they just had the air conditioner going. Um, which I mean, leads us to, of course, you know, why the environment is such in a bad place, but we'll cover that on another <laughs> podcast. Um, mankind makes his way to the ring. Uh, he talks about playing a, a electronic football naked on his bed. And yeah. I, for some reason, I just, my brain couldn't help but picture Mick Foley in the mask, butt naked uh, on his bed. Um, and I didn't like that. I didn't like that very much. Um, and then he talks about how his mother caught him and it was the most embarrassing moment of his life until he lost to Shane last week. So, there's some continuity there, and he promises to get revenge on him sometime, someplace, somehow. So <laughs> apparently that might happen. Um, he says that he res- uh, he he most respects the rocks, uh, that the rocks testicles are filled with fortitude. <laughs> and uh, that brings the rock out uh, and mankind leads a rocky chant. So before we get to the rest of it, a um, lot going on. In this first little section here of the promo. So I want to get just before up until Rocky comes out. What are your feelings on the mankind playing naked electronic football on his bed and his mother catching him section of the promo? Yeah, that's an image I never wanted in my head. Like, yeah, just that seems so like random. They were talking like, Mick, where are you going with this? And then he mentioned until I lost the shame. Like, okay, now it makes some some sense. I still didn't need that image in my head, but. And I did mean to ask last week if the Rock and Sock had officially formed by this point, but I got my answers on on this episode because I knew they eventually won the Titan Tales towards the end of the year. And, like, I still don't get what Mick's problem is. Like, he's the best in the world. Like, it's, there's no shame at all in losing to the best wrestler <laughs> in the world. He's always been the best wrestler. It wasn't a 2019 thing. It's always been a... And can I just say also the parallels between now and 1999 fucking... Shane McMahon is all over the sh- place, both here and today. He's he's all over the shop 20 years ago and today. He really is like the uh, the then now forever that they <laughs> mention yeah. in WWE all the time. Um, I had two thoughts about this uh, as he was talking about it. And um, first and foremost, my first thought when he mentioned that he played electronic football naked on his bed I don't picture Mick Foley being that well of a manscaper. Um, and if anyone's ever seen Borat, you get where I'm coming from with this. And uh, Or the second Harold and Kumar movie with the bottomless party, but I move on. Um, the other thought that I had is when he said that he promises to get revenge sometime, someplace, somehow. I remember the first episode of American Dad. Where Stan says that we're out of code orange. That means that something could happen someplace, somehow, some way, possibly in a moment. So be on alert. Um, I had had a similar thought. (laughs) And I just pictured like Shane McMahon in the background, in the backstage area, just sort of like moving his color grid up a shade and just sort of like looking around a lot. Um, I've been watching a lot of American Dad lately, so that's where that came from probably. Uh, So now that The Rock is in the ring, he says that he and Mankind aren't friends, but they are partners, and he thinks of Mankind as the toughest son of a bitch in the WWF. Also, never talk about The Rock's testicles ever again, which I feel is probably a really good place to start off with your tag team partner. Hey, maybe when you have a live microphone in your hand in front of 20,000 people, don't talk about my balls. Just saying. Setting clear boundaries. 
Yeah, clear boundaries between the rock and sock connection. There's a connection, but they are not docking. Um, <laughs> Shane Hunter. Oh God. Shane Hunter and China come out, so we have. This would be the second time we hear the the game theme, I believe. Unless no, I think they might have come out to Shane's music here. I don't know. I just I, I don't remember this. I watched this a couple days ago. I'm trying to forget about that theme song existing until the next time I have to watch SmackDown. Um, I find it most interesting that they're constantly referring back to the asshole chance when they start, because that like so wouldn't happen today. Um you get you get it sometimes where they'll say like, oh, the WWE universe is exp- expressing themselves very vocally or whatever. But like this, they came just short of saying, well, hey, everybody in the crowd thinks Shane McMahon's an asshole, you know. So, um, but then Shane comes out and congratulates Rock and Mankind that they are uh, that they won the WWF Tag Team Championships, but that they really are only concerned and focused on getting Triple H's WWF championship. And he makes rock and mankind to see who's going to challenge Triple H for the WWF championship at unforgiven, which if you didn't catch it the first time is on September 26th. Got to take a deep breath just after that one sentence. Um, so, and if they take it easy on each other, they will be suspended for six months. Um, what was your thought on the, uh, before we get to the rest of the promo, what was your thought on the stipulation there that if they, took it easy on each other that they would be suspended for six months, basically based on their like blood feud that they had at the, even just at the beginning of this year in 1999. Yeah. Uh, to first go back to Nick Foley's promo, like they, he's really working hard to get this whole testicular fortitude thing over, isn't he? This is the era of um, like catchphrases. Like they're all yeah. getting over, like they're all trying to get over certain phrases by like leaps and bounds. Yeah. Like I do I do like that they are acknowledging like the feud that they did have because it's not it's only been a few months since that feud ended. They had and it was over the WWF title and Broad did pretty much almost cave in mankind's skull at the Royal Rumble with those chair shots. So it's good that they acknowledged that and like with most type teams like sometimes they would kinda of tease tension but like with them like they clearly established they're not friends so it does create that intrigue of why it's going to happen, but I did think it was uncharacteristic of mankind to basically, you know, front ends versus State of the Rock, make me look good and just let me win. Yeah, right. And everyone just looks at them as if they, like, say what? <laughs> yeah, like, that That I found was very strange. Uh, that, like, he literally said, you know, hey, like, you want to put me over? You know, like, do you want to make me look good? You know, like, it, it's just, uh struck me as very strange that they would use that kind of language back then. Yeah, this is, again, another thing of the show where you can clearly see Vince Russell's fingerprints all over it, where he basically when he went to WCW, he was quite clear and always using all these insider references. Basically, Mankind was two seconds away from asking The Rock, hey, do you mind jobbing to me tonight? <laughs> yeah, you want to join the job squad for one night so I can go challenge Triple H for the WWF t- uh, title? Yeah. Um. So then... um. Let's see. Uh, okay, yeah. Sorry. Lost my place there for a second. I have a lot of notes. Um, uh, Shane then makes uh, Triple H versus that bald-headed SOB for the WWF title tonight. And um, for the briefest of moments, I was like, oh, cool. We're going to get some cool double main event. And then I remembered who the other bald SOB was, and we will get to that later on. I, I did love Triple H's like, 
reaction. He's so cocky. He takes a sip of water and just the slow, like react, slow reaction of him where he realizes he's putting two to get two together and he's thinking what all of the fans are thinking when Shane says that falls down of a bitch and it's that look of like, like why are you doing this to me? We're maybe pals here. Yeah, exactly. And I think that the like the stipulation really does play into this really well that like they are the tag team champions and they have had a blood feud, but to make sure that that doesn't that doesn't get put to the side, um, you know, they have that that looming suspension there, which means they probably get stripped of the tag titles anyway. Um, so, I mean, everything still does make logical sense moving forward. Um, Mankind asks The Rock to make him look good. Rock says that what sounds cooler than that is that he takes Mankind's tag title, shines it up real nice, and sticks it straight up his candy ass. Mankind then says it won't fit, <laughs> but then but then Rock says, don't worry, I'll stick both tag titles up your ass, which this got really kinky, and um, if one belt didn't fit, I would only imagine the kind of damage two would do. Yeah, I told you last week when the rope in this bit Three times in the one promo talked about sticking things up Triple H's ass, and now he's doing it up here. Like, when The Rock beat Billy Gunn at SummerSlam, did he think he'd inherited the ass man gimmick? Oh, maybe. I mean, everybody in 99 is really, like, obsessed with asses, though. Like, sticking things up another person's ass. Or, uh, like, Austin said it, what, I think, on the pilot, where he was going to break off the horns and, like, shove the horns up Rock's ass and that whole thing. Uh, then we see the limo is shown again, still running that engine. Mm-hmm. Sorry, sorry, Greenpeace. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we come to what I think is the most entertaining part of the entire evening. Fink Chimmel 2. My electric God. Boogaloo. Yeah, Fink Chimmel 2, Electric Boogaloo, for sure. Um, Finkel says that he has a challenge for Chimmel that he can't refuse and challenges him to a tuxedo match. Uh, Chim- I see, and I thought he may have been talking about uh, at like Unforgiven or yeah. something, or like he was talking about on Raw or something like that. But then Chimmel turns away, and Fink immediately attacks him and rips off one of the sleeves of Chimmel's uh, suit, which that's just pure strength. I don't know what kind of vitamins uh, Fink was taking beforehand, but he just like paper mache, boom, right <laughs> off, right off the arm. Um, yeah. They show Chris Jericho like just sort of laughing the entire time in the background, which, I yeah. mean, that just makes me laugh hysterically that Jericho knew that this was probably not the best stuff, and he was just like, I just get to sit back and watch it. Mm-hmm. You just um, to watch it like, ooh, I don't know. That's going to leave a mark. <laughs> they both start uh, kicking each other and tearing at each other's suits. Uh, Chimmel drops an elbow on Fink's, like, balls. <laughs> so, like, okay, you know, Tuxedo matches are, uh, tuxedo like tuxedo matches are no disqualification as well as long as you get the suit off. And of course, Chimmel does do that. So Chimmel, in my book, is two and zero, the best streak in professional wrestling. Quote me on it. Um, so then, uh, X Pac and Kane are shown backstage. X Pac says he needs to start. Uh, he needs to do this next match on his own. Uh, don't come out to the ring. Um, for any reason out there, and he's sick of being the weak link and letting Kane down. Uh, then we see Shamrock arriving, and then it cuts right to Lillian Garcia with Mankind. Um, he says that The Rock is like a brother, but that won't affect the way that he does this match. Um, 
And then before we get to the next cutaway, this seemed a lot of like sporadic to me where there were like a lot of these quick cuts to backstage material. Uh, how did that strike you? Yeah, there were well, so many things. I like I said, with that gift from the sense, it seemed like very few of these like, backstage events went like longer than like a minute. Cause like I wanted to talk about the, the Chim- I'll talk about the Chimmel like match in a second. If you can call it a match, but like, he gets his hand raised, and it's like literally a time to like five seconds at most before it cuts to X fucking Kane. Like, okay, we've seen that. On to the next thing. But I, I made a few things that I noted from this Chimmel uh tuxedo matches. One, well, we had an even game match last week, so it just goes to show that WAF are equal opportunity strippers. That if we have to see a woman get her t- clothes turned off, we must. Have balance, and the next week we'll have a man get his clothes ripped off. Uh, secondly, like if this can't get six stars, then what even is what even is wrestling anymore? Because Jimbo just destroys her fungal here. He looked like a superstar, or as he would say, a superstar. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love is that even though he pretty much tore off like, all of Finkel's like so he got like one of his arms of his. Like suit rep, so he had to take the jacket off for the rest of the evening. So he was just having his white shirt with like a red vest. Like he looked like a movie theater employee for the rest of the night. I was just gonna say that he looked he looked like a fucking usher. Like mm-hmm. he just looked like an usher. And all like this is this is technically a squash match. I mean, Chimmel just comes out and like strips Fink down. Mm-hmm. Those those red underwear, by the way. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Jerry Law could not stop commenting on the red underwear. And it's good to see that there's like two things in this world that make King go apoplectic. It's puppies and the fact that Fink was wearing red, bright red underwear. Mm-hmm. He seems um, so if he could see a burn mark on the bottom. That Oh, he was hysterical here, wasn't he? He was just, he was just having the most fun taking the piss out of Fink during this segment. I... I could get, I could sit back and just listen to King rip on Fink's like choice of underwear and whether or not he had shit himself, or like had like track marks going in the back there. Like, oh, like it was unbelievable. Yeah. Um, so then after Lillian is with Mankind, who Lillian Garcia, by the way, they drop her right into that Kevin Kelly roving reporter role, like tote sweet. She is in there trying to get all of the uh, the scoops trying to get everything, and she doesn't back down from nobody. She is a tough Latina woman who doesn't need no man to show her the way. <laughs> and I respect that about her. Yeah. Um, Triple H and China are shown, and Hunter says that he doesn't know who to trust around here anymore. He doesn't know that if it's going to be Austin or if it's going to be whomever. He's actually very, very worried. And China's actually the voice of reason here where she's trying to keep Hunter calm because she believes in her man at this point. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, this was one weird, like, it seemed like all the segments here, you feel like it would go longer than it actually did, and then it just suddenly abruptly cuts to the next one, like, before you even process, like, what they're talking about, like, Triple H doesn't know trust trying to calm down, and suddenly, yeah, we're moving on to the next match. And uh, we come back from the break, uh, because the, this is during that period of time where, like, things would happen backstage during the break, which almost makes you feel, like, more included in what's going on like it almost feels like a like for an hour and a half every week you got like pulled into this little world 
that was going on, which I think is severely missing from today's wrestling, uh, where they try and fit everything in between commercials instead of that, like, you're getting, like, a porthole into this world for two, three hours at a time. Uh, is that something that came across to you as well? Uh, well, I probably not really as much as you did, but, like, I just, like, I was just impressed by how much they could squeeze in in the certain amount of time that they did. Yeah, absolutely. And um, we see Jericho here talking to the Fink, who is still in his red boxers, uh, in his red underwear, like pulled up to his belly button. And I happened to pause it for a second to just try and catch up on writing down all the shit that had been going on. Mm -hmm. And it was just that like face to face of Jericho and the Fink. And Jericho just happens to be like smirking and like looking directly at the red underwear fantastic like fantastic pauses in history is like that's like one of them right there um he says he'll make a y2 jockey campaign for the fink because he knows a lot of people on madison avenue so i'm hoping that next week we get a like remember when stewie was the diaper model for like i'm hoping we get one of those for the fink (laughs) next week absolutely and i did love jerry trying to put the thing up on how good he looked and then he turns away and just mid-turn he just pulls this face like, he just pulls this face as is like, ugh. Because he's so easily, like, he's so, like, obviously disgusted Yeah. with what he's seeing before him. But it's also super funny to him, which is, like, a lot of character work just to do with your face. You know, like, it's it's very interesting to see that that kind of, that level of character work was being done at the time. Which shows that Jericho is very good at what he does, despite what I've said about him on other podcasts as of late. Yeah. Um, so we move right into our uh, third match of the evening because I am counting Fink and Chimmel as a match. Everybody can go fuck themselves. Nine stars. Fuck Dave Meltzer and his Tokyo Dome ratings. Nine stars for that tuxedo match. It was brilliant. Um, and gave it away on TV. Yeah, exactly. I figured we were going to have to wait until Unforgiven, which just a quick plug coming up in three weeks, we will have a rotating third guest here on the podcast where when we re- review Unforgiven 1999 we will have a very secret special guest and uh you guys are definitely going to want to hear who that is we just signed the paperwork and we're we're working on signing the checks over to this person who will be coming in and uh we hope you guys will enjoy that uh but back to smackdown we have expert expert x-pac versus Qu- uh, chris jericho uh uh, as, as you can tell, we uh, we're, uh, full disclosure, we recorded a podcast just before this for uh, Create a Wrestler, and my voice is a little gone uh, right now because of how funny that one was. So make sure to listen to that uh, on the feed. Um, X-Pac versus Chris Jericho is up next. We get a brief recap of what Jericho did last week to the Road Dog and Shamrock. Uh, Jericho is still rocking the, quote, European-style haircut, which... <laughs> Uh, I wasn't aware that's what it was called. I just thought it was Ode de Douche. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, he looks dapper. He's, you know, he's doing his thing. Still very WCW Chris Jericho here, though. Very much so, yeah. And I do like, well, like you said, that's how they explain, that's how they explain the hair. Sorry, I got a hug up there. I do love that's how they explain the hair. That's a European feel. Like I think I perfectly summed it up last week. He's going for the Adrian Street. That's clearly what he's going for. We shouldn't be around the bush. That's clearly what he's going for here. And they explain that uh, Road Dog has like a hernia disc or something like that in his back, which weirdly my first thought was how hard was that table he put him through? 
Well, then also right after he slammed him through the table, uh, he did put him in the Lion Tamer, a.k.a. the Walls of Jericho. I still consider them two different moves, and I consider that move that he did to the Road Dog the Lion Tamer rather than the uh, Walls of Jericho. Um, yeah. well, the Lion uh, Tamer has, a, has like an angle and like the knee where yeah. it looks nearly the back of the neck or something like that, whereas the Walls of Jericho is a basic like Boston Crab with both legs. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I'm glad we're on the same page about that. Um, um So, yeah, so it, it is said that uh, he has, uh, I have it written down here, uh, Road Dog is said to be out a couple of weeks due to a ruptured disc from the backbreaker. Uh, they actually do mention that it was from the backbreaker that he did, the, right. uh, the, tiger, the tiger suplex one that he did onto the knees. All right, I'm um, uh, But that I'm sure going through the table and getting the lion tamer probably didn't help. Um, so then Shamrock comes down just as the, uh, the match is about to begin, but he's cut off by X-Pac who asks him to hold off, which I think is again, another really interesting character development here where X-Pac is very resolute. He wants to be able to prove himself, not only to himself, but to Kane. Uh, and we see that in the sense of urgency that X-Pac shows, uh, as the match gets going, as if, you know, he has something to prove, uh, Taker and Show appear on the ramp for reasons, um, and a uh, you get a strong and resilient comeback from X-Pac that only gets a two count. Um, there, a uh, Show comes in for the DQ, uh, and Shamrock chases off Jericho. Kane runs, I mean, right past Undertaker, who does nothing about it, which we can talk about in detail if you if you wish, uh, and takes out Show. Taker calls uh, uh, Taker calls Kane weak, and that Kane is vulnerable with X Pac and becoming more and more weak with the more time he spends with X Pac. So again, a lot of stuff going on here. Not a clean finish. Um, your thoughts on this match? Yeah, it did seem weird by Shamrock being like portrayed as out of control character that he is. That is so easily X Pac is so easily able to like talk him down from from interfering and. Uh, Shamrock being the world's most reasonable man rather than the world's most dangerous man in this instance. <laughs> and so Xbox trying hard, which for the sake of the fans, they like, no, don't interfere. We need at least one clean finish on this show. I mean, I'm sorry, but like, I just thinking about the world's most reasonable man, Ken Shamrock, <laughs> like in like a nice suit and stuff, and he never loses his temper. And he sort of, and you know, like when he walks up onto the the ring steps and he like smacks himself in the face. Like instead of that, he just walks up to the thing and just does like a nice calming breath and then walks into the ring. And he he doesn't really do anything specific in the ring and he just sort of wins cleanly. Like I just I would love to have seen that. I mean, well, he is talking about a comeback to the ring. Like Ken, if you're listening, there's your new gimmick. Reinvent yourself. Yeah, I mean, like make. Make make changes when you got it, you know. Yeah, I mean, look at Jericho. He's on his like what six, seven, three invention at the moment. I mean, I guess you can you can sort of call it that. Where he's sort of like I said, I still see a lot of WCW Jericho here. Where yeah, a um, bit, bit more like modern times. Like. Oh yeah, I mean yeah, I mean Jericho's reinvented himself a hundred and fifty thousand times, but that's because he's you know despite what anybody, including myself, would say about him, he does find himself ahead of the curve because he just has this in his blood, you know. Yeah, definitely. Like I did like the inclusion of like uh, Taker and Big Show from the uh, up on the ramp to kind of continue the the feud between these teams because. 
it's kind of been going on since like just before SummerSlam, so I'm glad that that, that was still continuing. And like the fact that Kane just runs right past the Undertaker, who obviously couldn't be bothered to stop his brother from attacking his tag team partner, um, that just that was very weird. Just so he could stand up and like, you know, throw like little like world star jabs at him, like, "Hey, you're you you know you're weak, you're vulnerable, you know, just like just shoving things like in his brother's face." Which, I mean, I guess we'll see where that goes from here. Yeah, I mean, Taker didn't look as bored as he did last week, but he clearly did not have the energy to run after Kane. I mean, he definitely is more sluggish here as of late. I mean, I think he's about to go out with an injury or he's about to, like, finally take care of some of his injuries uh, shortly after this. So I'm not exactly sure how much longer we have Taker for, but you can see that they're trying to use him more creatively and, like, sparingly when it comes to in-ring stuff. Yeah. I mean, I don't think he's on Unforgiven, so I don't think it's very long. Um, So I have this next part written all as like one sentence with no punctuation. So it is Hunter is slamming his hands on onto Shane's door. Limo is shown again. Shamrock is flipping tables. This is how quick 1999 moves in the WWF. It is absolutely like breakneck speed. If you blink, you're going to miss something. Yeah, if they, if they moved at a faster pace, you'd, you'd get sick watching this. Yeah, I mean they had, they had everything but like those crazy like, like kind of wipes between everything. It was just boom thing, boom thing, boom angle, boom this, boom that. Like it was unbelievable. Um, yeah. Quickly following that, we have the WWF Championship match: Triple H with China versus that bald-headed SOB, which we find out because Shane comes down to the ring and uh, he says. I believe that you can take out anybody. I believe that you're the game. But to prove that, you're going a one-on-one against Gilberg. And Gilberg makes his way. Who Did you notice that his locker room was the men's restroom with his name on the door? Yes, I was trying to figure, is this intentional or not? But like either way, it's still funny. It's got to be intentional because they even put the Gilberg, Gilberg, like in the song itself so like the crowd is like going for a piss break or like just dead silent to begin with and like these gilberg chants are coming directly from the audio feed which was hilarious to me um and he's revealed this oh go ahead i have never felt more sorry for an inanimate object more than i did when i felt sorry for that light heavyweight title (laughs) yeah yeah I mean, hey, it only gets worse from here on out with that because he keeps it until it goes away. And then somehow I think I'm, 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 I might be mistaking this, but I think uh little bastard gets it before he's like officially. Um, well, I can't remember his name. I think things look like actually get a little bit better for a while. With that belt, but the, but the fact he keeps on it for like a good few more months after this, but. And then the fact that Jerry Lawler asks Michael Cole, will this be title for title? Because when I look at Triple H, especially in this time, I think there's a light heavyweight for you. I mean, Triple H was always going off the top rope. Oh, yeah. He's always like one of those flippy dervish kind of guys where like it just comes out of nowhere. He can hit you with a Hurricane Rana or like he he invented the the Connecticut Destroyer. Let's not forget. Um, So focus on flip zero psychology from that Triple H. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason they call him the Cerebral Assassin. Um, (laughs) But 
surprisingly, Gilbert does get a few spears uh, throughout the match, but he just genuinely just gets his ass kicked. Uh, Shane joins commentary a little way through the match. Um, and I think it's funny that uh, Goldberg, uh, Goldberg, Gilbert hits uh, one of the spears and Shane like acts as if like fucking like Goldberg just speared Triple H and was about to win the title. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, Triple H wins. Duh. Then takes out the ref and destroys Gilbert with a chair as he did to Stone Cold Steve Austin at SummerSlam. Um, then, uh, I mean, th- other than that, what do you have to say about the uh, the match where Gilbert took on Triple H for the WWF Championship? It was a lot better than Goldberg's last match, so there's that. Ooh, ooh is it getting <laughs> warm in this podcast, or uh, Jesus? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much all I say about it. Like, I thought it was like you could tell us where it was coming, and then, like, it was good to see Goldberg get a few spears, but he just got destroyed as he is rightfully should have. Absolutely. Um, the limo is shown again backstage with the engine still running, and then moving on. From that environmental disaster, uh, sorry, Peta. Um, we get oh, a recap. Gosh. Now, I, as out of fairness to the you know hundred people or couple dozen, the dozens and dozens, dozens. of people who listen to the, which I think I'm going to keep that as far as we do, as long as we do this, um, the dozens and dozens of people who listen to us. I feel like we have to cover this, uh, even though. I'm not looking forward to covering this. Um, I told you in uh, like our like our text message thread that uh, my fiance was here when we were watching this, and her cat's name is Pepper. Um, so that did not make watching this next section of the show very easy. Um, but we get a recap of the Pepper and Big Boss Man and Al Snow situation, um, and then uh, Michael Cole and King. They um, they say that they've been handed some footage that nobody has seen yet. And uh, Al Snow is, was invited to Big Boss Man's hotel room, which weird to begin with. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, then they say, all right, let's go cut to that that video footage. And um, well, let's just cut to the chase. Big Boss Man feeds Al Snow's dog Pepper to him in what is very obviously just Chinese food, which is super racist. Um, but what the fuck? Just what the fuck? Yeah. Like, you said last week, this gets worse before it gets better. Like, this does not get better. Even after this, it still doesn't get any better. And how, like, the acting in this is not the best. Like, how long it takes Snow to suddenly realize what Bossman's talking about when he says, don't get one of those paws stuck in your teeth. Or the way he's trying to fake, fake, like, throwing up. When and then randomly, Bossman just throws up just majority of the, all the food like on one of the beds for no reason. Like, and yeah, just, and, and he keeps yelling, "He's hardcore!" And we we talked about this in our our days. Like, this is for the hardcore title. Like, this is like if Drake Maverick said to our truth, "Like, let me win the twenty four seven title, or I'll I'll kill your dog." Like, it's, it's a hard it's a hardcore title. What would he do for the IC title? Yeah, and I mean like. Like let's let's put this in today's context. Like our truth is so obsessed with getting the the twenty four seven title back. Is he gonna like torture and then possibly murder Maverick's wife to get? No, you wouldn't do that. Like 
Have you seen those videos of them on Twitter on their honeymoon? Like, she's been tortured enough. Like, this is, like... It's just, I mean, and you were being nice when you say that the the acting isn't the best, but it's fucking a tr- it's shit. Yeah, it's a hundred and ten percent. Oh, it, sorry if anybody can hear that. Uh, there's some fireworks going on outside my my building at the moment. Sorry, um, sort of threw me off there. Um, but yeah, this this is shit. This is just shit. It is. It, it's it's not funny to like say that you murdered a dog. And made a stir fry out of him, and then had his owner eat. Like, ah, uh, just it's shit. It's just shit. Like, yeah, all of it is shit. And then the fact that this leads—spoilers, ladies and gentlemen—if you're following along with us, this leads to the kennel from hell match, which is so, so, so bad. And I don't. I can. I, I'm just gonna move on. Can we just move on from this? Yeah. It just, but it's one of those things where you wonder what. Especially in the world of KV, what happened to Boss Man? Like, he turned face in, like, 1990 because he refused to take payoffs or bribes. And then in 1999, he's willing to murder people's pets. Like, like what happened to you? Over a shattered title. Yeah. Like, over a like, title that has been through the bin. It's like, like Mr. Smithers says about Mr. Burns, it, it perfectly describes Boss Man. He's crossed the line from everyday villainy to cartoonish supervillainy. That's so... Like he's just evil for the sake of being evil now. Definitely a shit tier villain for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So then we move on from there to uh, Shamrock is still in the back looking for Jericho, which I enjoy the continuity, but I mean they could have done with a few less like ten second cuts back to the backstage area. Yeah. Um. And uh, I mean I guess that really does show that they did. They filmed these on a Tuesday and then they didn't air until the Thursday. So they had a lot of like airtime to fill, I mm-hmm. suspect. Um, but then we move on to a number one contendership for the WWE Championship match at Unforgiven on the 26th of September, just in case you forgot. Uh, <laughs> Mankind versus The Rock. And uh, even for a Rock versus Mankind match, this was sort of pedestrian. Yeah. Um, Rock suplexes Mankind onto the ramp. Um Apparently, this is a no DQ and a no no count out for reasons. Um, Mankind and Rock temporarily joined commentary during their match, which I thought was hysterical. Um, Sako onto the Rock that knocks down the ref. As Shane comes out as referee, uh, Shane then immediately calls out Triple H in China, uh, who head down uh, who head down and beat down Rock and Mankind. Shane also makes this match and as a double disqualification. So again, we have a DQ, we have a non-clean finish, uh, a lot of schmas, a lot of, lot of, lot of, sh- lot of bullshit going on. So, uh, what were your feelings on the number one contendership match for the WWF Championship? First one I say, like the cuts from the paper segment, they show, they show, like Michael Cole and Kane looking shocked as anything, and then how. How quickly it takes Michael Cole to suddenly change his tone to, well, oh well, back to this match. Three or times at no one contenders match. It's like you just watch the man feed another man his dog. Like, how casual are you moving on? Like, I, I get the idea the show must go on, but Jesus, Michael. And then, like you said, this match was very pedestrian. Like, I think the whole idea was they wanted the Rock and Mankind to really like do damage to each other, and then cost both of them a shot going to unforgiven. But like. Did they even let them like get that much offense in each other before they made the whole like interference? And then another thing I was gonna like 
why did like all the stuff that they crammed in after this all have to happen on this show? Like, this could easily have been like the main event. Let it go at least like fifteen or so minutes before doing the DQ, and then lead to what comes next on like a diff- on the Raw or maybe in SmackDown next week. But they just seem for a reason to be so insistent on getting like almost like a few weeks worth of content in this one episode. Exactly, like so much stuff moves at like like a fast and furious pace that like it's almost hard to keep track of it which is why i have five fucking pages of notes for this show it's just so much is going on um you know you get the double dq and all that other stuff and then we still have this was like a show where so much happens but like almost nothing happens because like so much isn't happening at the same time that like they are advancing storyline because they really seem to have like a grip on, hey, we have three weeks until the pay-per-view. There's no sense in announcing a match three weeks out. We can use that to build the TV more. Yeah. It's like it's one of the things like if you like are watching something like this back and you know what the what the eventual pay-per-view match is, there's like zero indication of that being the direction that they're going. Which is which is kind of a good and a bad thing at the same time for different reasons. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, then we cut after that to Shane, uh, Shamrock is still looking for Jericho backstage, which I mean, God bless Jericho for being able to hide that quickly. Um, big is this building? I mean, it's gotta be pretty big. It can hold like 20,000 people or something. So, I mean, he's gotta be, if, even if he's like on one side, Jericho could be like right behind him and like on the other side, it's like a, like a Benny Hill sketch. <laughs> um, that was so, been there. Oh, that would have been fantastic. Could you imagine they cut to the background? And it's like... Um, Lillian Garcia is with Shane, who says that he made a mistake and will attempt to make it up to uh, The Rock and Mankind, where Lillian Garcia did not let him get away with it at all. Like, he was very into saying... She was very into just being like, well, no disrespect, but you screwed them. You screwed them. And he said, fine, I'll make it up to them. Almost petulantly, like a child. Um, said that he would make it up to them. But before we get to see what he does there, uh, we get Val Venus versus Ken Shamrock, who is still in his street clothes after searching for Y2J all night. Um, and he easily puts away Val Venus with the ankle lock. Um, before we get to the post-match angle, uh, what did you... Or did you think that there was a lot to say about this match between Venus and Shamrock? Do you have any sort of uh, opinions on this match one way or the other? Not really, because, like, the whole thing with Shamrock is they never even mentioned up until they even had a match, so this match was just very much an afterthought even before it even started. And I think the main focus is what happened afterwards. Yeah, absolutely, and what happens afterwards is uh, Steve Blackman comes out, which, small segue, I have been alerted to a page on Facebook, uh, The Church of the Lethal Weapon, that exists. Uh, there's maybe like just over two dozen people in it. Um, but there, whoever's running that page is putting up, um, just like, like biblical verses, but also just talking about Steve Blackman and his like martial arts prowess. If you're interested, go check that out. And because you shouldn't be, um, we move on to, uh, Blackman, uh, he comes out and he's immediately taken down by Shamrock because he's crap. Um, um, Y2J comes back out and tells Shamrock to meet him out in the parking lot. Um, 
And like in between all of this, like Blackman, because I guess he he feels like he hasn't done enough. Like he takes his nunchuck and like whacks Valvinus in the face with it briefly that you kept like, I don't know. Did you catch that at all when he like just randomly attacked Valvinus for reasons? Yeah. Steve Blackman's inclusion, like we talk about the randomness of like stuff on this show. This seems to be the most random of all. It's like if you ever played the original Pokemon games, a wild Blackman appears out of nowhere. (laughs) Out of nowhere, like it seems very special if you watch SummerSlam where they. I was trying to do that. I seem to be doing the Mission Impossible theme instead for some reason, but. I happen to just be listening to. There's this band on YouTube called the Eight Bit Big Band, where they have like a 25 piece orchestra and they do like old like classic video game themes, and one of them was the the Pokemon battle theme. And it's fucking fantastic. Um, yeah, like they had the Shamrock and Blime had like a Lion's Den match at SummerSlam, so it seemed like that feud was done. And then he just randomly comes out here, is made to look like, is made to look shit because he just gets disposed of, and then just like an angry child just decides to attack Venus because he's closer. Yeah, absolutely. Like he just decides, like, I haven't done enough here. So I'm gonna like attack the porn star who's already knocked unconscious. Okay. Yeah. Like an um, angry, angry kid that didn't get his way, so he just starts kicking things. He realized how unimportant he was and decided to try and make a star of himself. And I guess he did some sort of like going into business for himself there a little bit. Um, but uh, right after Y2J says, "Hey, meet me in the parking lot," Shamrock says, "Yeah, no problem." Meets him out in the parking lot, but he gets sneak attacked by Jericho because he is distracted by Howard Finkel in a Jericho costume and wig. Uh, He also gets pepper sprayed in the face and Jericho attacks Shamrock with a shovel. And as Jericho is finished beating him down, he goes, Oh my God, I killed Kenny. (laughs) Um, I love that. that. That's fantastic. I mean, say what you want, but like, that's fantastic. And then to get away even quicker, Jericho throws Fink in the trunk and then takes off in the car. And they're fucking gone. They're like thieves in the night. They're just gone. Yeah. I did also love that he had them in the line here and insisted that uh, I think take pictures as well. That was cool. And part of me hopes like they had to do something like it's like Raw or like the next SmackDown where you have Jericho arrive now, you know, and he's here pounding in the back of the car and realize he's like left Howard Finkel in the trunk since last week. Oh, and you know he would have forgotten him. Yeah. He cares that little about him. He cares that little about many things. Yeah. Um. So then, for the fourteen hundredth time in this episode, Shane, Triple H, and China come out. Uh. As I'm sorry. Uh. As someone uh, starts stepping out of the uh, the limo, um, Shane says that Rock and Mankind should come back out to continue their match, uh, and says that they have to the count of five. But before he gets to the count of one. Tess comes out to no music mm-hmm. and introduces Linda and Stephanie, who comes out to Tess music. <laughs> Kel Sapri is on that one. Um, Linda and Stephanie come out. Shane is just flabbergasted. He's terrified. He has no idea what to do. Linda, who is my fucking hero. I love Linda McMahon so much. Especially during this time, because you know that when she comes out, regardless of it being to the classic WrestleMania theme or to any theme, the second Linda McMahon comes out, you know something is going down. 
Like, this is, this is to what I said earlier, like, oh, like, the finish to uh, the Rock Mankind match could have easily been the main event. This promo could have easily been, like, the opening segment of Raw the following week. Like, I don't know why they insisted on having so much of this and why they had to insist on here on having this here my time an extra three or four times. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, it barely gets better from here. Um... Linda says that she and Steph have a controlling interest in WWF at the moment because Vince is not around and makes Triple H and Shane versus Rock and Mankind. Shane instantly demands it be for the tag titles because, you know, why the fuck not? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's made official for the main event of the evening. Um, During the break, Shane tries to pump up Triple H and Triple H says that, uh, you know, they, they have it under control. Uh, so, you know, we'll see how that turns out for them. There's a recap of the four corner tag match for the number one contender for the tag belts, which turned into a clusterfuck. And speaking of clusterfucks, a gauntlet style number one contender match for the tag team title matches, uh, comes up here on SmackDown as well. Featuring Crash and Hardcore Holly, Viscera and Midian, Draws and Albert, the New Brood, aka the Hardy Boys, the Accolades, Blue Meanie and Stevie Richards, and Edge and Christian. That is a lot, I know, so I will repeat it. Just for the sake of clarification, Crash and Hardcore Holly, Viscera and Midian, Draws and Albert, The New Brood, a.k.a. The Hardy Boys, The Acolytes, Blue Mini and Stevie Richards, <laughs> like they had a chance, and <laughs> and Edge and Christian. Uh, Crash and Hardcore Holly go through Viscera and Midian, Draws and Albert, Hardy Boys take out Crash and Hardcore Holly, Acolytes take out The Hardy Boys and Blue Mini and Stevie Richards because fucking Stevie Richards and Blue Mini did not have a fucking... Blue Mini's fat ass didn't even get to the fucking ring. Um, and that's hilarious. Blue Mini's a great guy. I love him, but this made no sense to me. I met him quite a few times. I lived right outside where he trains people in South Jersey for a while, and he's a really great right. guy and stuff, but... Uh, this didn't make any sense to me why he didn't come down to the ring and Stevie Richards just got his fucking face like knocked off by a clothesline from hell. Uh, Edge and Christian then take out the acolytes and uh, for a little while uh, until um, it ends in a no contest because the Dudley boys come out and cause a no contest with their two by four, two by fours. Um, and in all of the confusion, we go backstage to Lillian with the Dudley boys. And I'm just going to group this all together before I get your your take on it, because it's all sort of like one thing. Uh, Lillian Garcia is with the Dudley boys and Bubba stutters. And Devon says, thou shall not miss with the Dudley boys. Um, so your thoughts here on the Dudley boys. I think this is their premiere, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and the fact that we don't have an answer to who is the number one contender for multiple titles in the WWF here at this point in 1999. Yeah, like, who would have thought the whole thing with China and like, on the whole open contract would be the most clear story we have regarding a title in the, in the company at that time, but, like, I remember, like, now when you watch on the never you had those markers, like, the beginning and ending of, like, each match, I remember I, after the same where it was announced to be Rock and Mankind versus Triple H and Shane, I then seen the marker for a gauntlet match. So weirdly, I thought like, is are they gonna get booked in this gauntlet and have to weasel their way through the gauntlet to then earn the shot at the tag titles? But no, it's just a, just a random gauntlet. Which again, before the whole recap, Roy, you never mentioned like 
I thought of like SmackDowns like the B show or like the secondary show where like some guys who didn't get featured as much on Raw can get featured. This could have been a good like give us more time, make let this make a big a big chunk of like the show, like give us like fifteen minutes to let some guys get a spotlight. But no, it just completely rushed through. Well, it's quite thankful in this case of some teams like Bloody Visser and Midian, but like I made a few notes during this match. One, I think the reason that Bloomy didn't get wasn't in a rush to get the ring is he saw the acolytes and he, he saw into the future what would happen to him in two thousand and five. But like and also like I love when the Hardys came out because you have Matt come in to have a moonsault on hardcore visits that's in the ring and then uh on the, I just almost missed it the first thing because on the far side of the screen you see Jeff just launch himself on the outside towards Crash. He just comes like out of nowhere. And I just thought it was cool. And also the way when Jeff goes to leap off Matt's back to hit like poor train motion on Bradshaw and Bradshaw just clocks him with the clothesline from hell, which is a really like underrated finish for mapping, it just looked brittle. And then yeah, that Lariat that Lariat is definitely underrated. It is disgusting. <laughs> yeah. Like like I said, but blew me, like he he saw into the future, he saw one night stand, he like, I'm not getting in there with Bradshaw. <laughs> and then like uh like I've, it's one thing to have like no fashion like things like the Rock and Mankind, which then leads to another match where you do get a kind of a clearer finish. But then this one, we've been to like six or seven teams and it's still ends in a non a no contest and a non finish, like not really like I, I was almost like, screaming at my computer to like, oh, for God's sake! Like, even a gauntlet match, we can't get a clear finish. Like, like why couldn't the Dudleys have been in the gauntlet? Like, they're a team, they're employed. Like, if Viscera and Midian can get a spot in this match, like... Because I know you're just clamoring to see more of Viscera and Midian just out there, you know, sucking the fucking air out of an arena. Like, yeah. holy shit, are they fucking just bad. The, the window that you know, comes from Vissera's heavy breathing like two seconds into a match because he's already exhausted sitting there. He's not, even at, he's not even at the ring by the time he's fucking just heavy breathing with his 700 pound body. Comes out like he's wearing a bin bag with that big leather coat thing. Like who told him that was a good idea? And it's probably the, the only thing he could fucking get that like looked like it made sense. And then also you got Draws and Albert in here who are just I mean, the time was up for them well before this. Um, and I mean, Crash and Hardcore Holly, like, you know, they're going to go on to do some fun stuff. The Acolytes become the APA. But like Blue Meanie and Stevie Richards, to have them just because I love Stevie Richards a whole bunch. And just to have him come in and just like get like demolished in like 30 seconds for this match to just end in a no, in a no contest is I, I don't even know. I don't even know. Yeah, like I said to you, like I, I've already had it, had my fill with non-finishes, and we're only on episode two. Like this is going to be rough. I think this is the one part of SmackDown I'm not looking forward to because when I when I, when I sit to think about it, there are actually a lot of like really entertaining big moments for this era that actually occur on episode of SmackDown, which is which is what I was looking forward to. But then this is going to be the one aspect I don't look forward to. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, with all of the, I mean, I think we get like, if you include Chimmel and Fink, which we all know I do, 
Mm -hmm. Um, We get like two, maybe three uh, clear winners, like clean finishes out of eight matches. Like it's absurd. It's absurd. But welcome to 1999. Mm -hmm. Um, So then it's Main event time of the evening. The WWF Tag Team Championships are on the line. Triple H and Shane with China versus The Rock and Sock Connection. Rock and Mankind. And we hear the fucking Triple H theme for like the 450th time tonight. Which, I mean, we have no choice. That that song has to close this episode. Because it's the only song that you can even remember coming out of this show. If we had to, I knew eventually we'd probably have to. Um, so uh, Mankind starts off the match by himself because The Rock, you know, takes his time waiting for his music to hit. He just does that whole Vampiro thing like, where's my fucking music? He said, play my fucking music. <laughs> yeah, they do this a few times where like matches start when like one of the competitors just hasn't came out yet. I mean, made his entrance, but the bell rings anyway. Like the tankers are very loose with... At this, in this time period, I think you were just like, no, the match starts when I say it starts. Yeah, there's just a lot of, like, loose exception of the rules here. Um, and uh, let's see. So he starts it off by himself to the Rock, saunters his way out. Uh, Triple H hits Mankind with a chair, but the ref didn't see it, even though, like, it clearly looks like he would have seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, China low blows Mankind, which... Definitely wasn't seen, actually. I actually like the way that this Lobo kind of worked. Even though it was a little sloppy, I think that it worked a little bit better than the chair. So the bar isn't set very high. Because um, Shane was able to actually distract the referee. Uh, hot tag to the rock makes the crowd lose their fucking mind. Um, and Shane takes a great bump over the table, by the way. Like, oh my good God, like... You think Shane today is the best in the world. That bump <laughs> over the account, the commentator's table was unbelievable. Um, Bill Ziggler, sh- as we all know, Bill Ziggler, as we all know, took a lot of inspiration from Shane McMahon in terms of selling. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, he's the best in the world. Yeah. Um, Mr. Ass then, uh, during all the brouhaha and the commotion, Gives the Famouser to Triple H, and The Rock is able to get the pin after the Rock Bottom and the People's Elbow. Um, and we uh, close out on the show with um, The Rock and Mankind standing victorious over what's left of the corporation. What was your take on like all 916 things that happened during this main event? Oh, yeah, by the end of. By this point, I was already exhausted this episode, and like I was watching it like the middle of the afternoon. But it was because so much had happened, like these wears you out by the time you get to the end. Like it did, like obviously this match probably could have went a bit longer because it seemed like the tag came a lot sooner than you expected it to. But then by the end of the point, like I was think it's more past the point of like expecting matches to go too long. Like, I think it's a good like they make a good team the Rock and Mankind, even though it's clear the Rock really doesn't care that much for for Mankind. But Mankind is like known for being able to take punishment, so he's excellent dynamic of he's perfect he's the perfect guy to then make the hot type to the rock who comes in with all the energy and then hits like hits the key moves like rock bottom people's elbow and like sends the current home happy. Yeah, and they deserve to get sent home happy after like Half of the like non finishes that we got here. Um, 
so before we get to our ratings, um, you know, we're going to start making our way to the front desk at the, uh, the SmackDown hotel for this week. Um, overall, what'd you make of the show and what was your rating for this week's second episode ever of SmackDown? Uh, I do feel like there have been points where we've been actually quite negative, but like as bad as like some parts were, or like as frustrated I may have gotten with having to like see, see listen to that Triple H theme song a few too many times, like I would I'd be lying if I said I was bored during this because like there was always stuff going on, like and we had people constantly running in, like it's like it is you know one of the only positives of Vince Russo's like beginning that everybody for better or for worse had some sort of story like even the the ring announcers have stories which is a, a unique thing so like well like i could have done without the whole boss man segment like it's hard to say that i was bored during this because i wasn't so i'm i'm probably leaning towards an up for this episode yeah same here i'm gonna have to go with a thumbs up even though i absolutely hate the pepper the dog thing and um sometimes you get the feeling that like too much of a good thing is like like too much um but honestly there was so much on this show alone and this period of time in the wwe wwf as it is at this point like you can't really fault them for fitting so much stuff in especially when they're just back on network tv for the first time so it's got to be a thumbs up, but it's like just barely a thumbs up just because that pepper the dog thing really just strikes the wrong chord with me. Um, so uh, that's another thumbs up episode for us here as we make our way out of the SmackDown hotel. But as we're getting into the car and ready to pull away, Scott, give us your plugs. Hey, you can find me on Twitter at Scott McLean, 96 If when I hear more of my weird opinions on on wrestling and other things like possibly the TV show Frasier, you can find my podcast and all the links to uh, Scott and Paul's Rambling Podcast at SP Rambling on Twitter and Facebook.com forward slash Rambling Podcast. We just released our latest career retrospective uh, on the career of Bray Wyatt most recently. It's my friend Paul, uh, who I do the show with, is a big fan of Bray Wyatt's and there are points in this podcast where I don't think I've heard him get more animated speak with more passion than i have in this in this episode and it's a long one so yeah definitely check that out ladies and gentlemen uh bray wyatt is an interesting character and you can't have two people who uh love the character more than you guys do and if you guys are that impassioned it's definitely worth a listen I'm at Mr. Riot on Twitter, M-R-R-I-0-T, because Counter-Strike was a thing. And if you're sick of it, please let me know on Twitter, um, and I will come up with something funnier. Or you can give me something funny to say, and I'll say your thing on the air. Because, you know, fan service, content, yay. <laughs> um, and follow us over at Rogue underscore Opinions on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, follow us over there. You'll see that we just put up a poster for the next uh, show that I'm going to be doing uh, with violence and suffering wrestling presents no bitch assness, which is our credo <laughs> over there. Don't bring any of that bitch assness into our building. Even though we want you there better not be a bitch ass when you do it. Um, we're going to have Teddy Hart and we're going to have pinky Sanchez homicide is expected to be there. Um, I mean, just names on names on names on names on names, Jimmy Lloyd, uh, plenty plenty of stuff going on if you're in the new york and new jersey area you have no excuse but to come out and enjoy some violence and suffering wrestling i will be on commentary i'll be in the building all goddamn day making your lives 
a better place just to be in. Follow us again, Rogue Opinions. Go back in our um, in our archives and listen to Kayfabe Court and the Create a Wrestler, Create a Band. We're doing a lot of great things over here. Opinions are strange. A lot of great things going on. And if you're not caught up yet, you got to catch up with us. We even have a podcast with Inside the Ropes' Kayfabe Jobber. So please go over there as soon as humanly possible and check us out. Thank you so much again for joining us here on the Retro SmackDown experience. We are now checked out of the SmackDown Hotel for the week. For Scott, I'm Jimmy. Thank you very much for joining us. A good night. Good night. One, two, this on? Yo, Jimmy, hit me with that triple H. Tell me who the time it is now.